time Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Another time Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Another time he said, I am the bread of life. Several key statements. He, he said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, several key statements. We're going to look at one this evening that Jesus said. I'd like to begin in John 12, and we're going to see that. But before we do, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together tonight. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I do pray that he would be glorified tonight. Lord, I just pray that, uh, that as, as we see the Lord Jesus and all his splendor, Lord, may it cause us to have a greater, um, a greater love for you. Lord, I thank you for, uh, for sending your son to the cross for us. Thank you that he did not stay dead, but that he rose again. And, and Lord, I just praise you for that. Lord, I thank you for this church. I just praise you for, for what you are doing in the, in the lives of this, of this community with the gospel, and Lord, I thank you for those who came tonight. Pray that you would bless and encourage them from your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 12, look at verse 3. It says, therefore, let's see, verse 3 says, let's see, I'm in the wrong chapter. John chapter 12, verse 3 says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And, and it talks about, it goes on and talks about how Jesus, the, this lady came and anointed his feet with this, with this priceless ointment, this valuable ointment. And, and it was important, this is, uh, this is important in the life of Jesus because you go down to verse 7. They were wondering, why did she do such a, a silly thing? They said, then said, Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying has she kept this? And so Jesus pointed out the reason she did that was in preparation for the cross, in preparation for what he would do on the cross. Now I'll go down to verse 27. Jesus here is talking to his father. He's praying to his father. And he says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into the world, into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, will glorify it again. The people heard it, and they thought, it sounded like thunder. Uh, but others said an angel spoke to him. And, and the point was that it was, it was a, a declaration of the Father, his approval of his Son. Now go down to verse 44. We're skipping ahead. We're building up to a climax we're, we're, we're going towards a very important time in, in the life of the Lord Jesus. Verse 44, I think this is one of the last warnings that Jesus gave. One of the last times he gave a warning to the people before the cross. Verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Now I'll go down to chapter 13. Go to the next chapter, verse 1. Here, this is what we call the Last Supper. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father hath given all things into his hands, he was come from God and went to God. So then it goes on and talks about how he washed his disciples' feet. Uh, the Last Supper, uh, we call it the Last Supper. The disciples, they would have thought of it as the Passover meal. They were celebrating Passover. They were remembering when God had delivered their people from the land of Egypt. Um, it not only did that, but it pointed forward to when Jesus would deliver his people from the bondage of sin. Uh, very important in the life of Jesus. Then go down to verse 21. Here we're introduced to the betrayer. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Now you can imagine the disciples sitting around. They're seeing what, you know, all the things going on. Jesus said, hey, one of you's, one of you will betray me. And they, these were his disciples. They were his closest friends. They were his followers. They had been with him. They had been through, with him through thick and thin. They'd, they'd gone through. And, and Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Imagine the shock in their hearts, their minds, as they know that can't happen. And then to realize eventually it would happen. Um, go down to, and, and then actually Jesus here begins preparing the disciples for when he would go away. Uh, you know, in the next coming weeks and months and even years, the disciples would go through some very troubling times. A lot of pressure, a lot of um, things that weren't going well for them. Uh, a lot of persecution. Uh, they would go through some, some testing. And they needed to re- be reminded of the truths that Jesus said. So Jesus is preparing them for that time. In fact, if you go to chapter 14, verse 1, it begins, Let not your heart be troubled. He's looking at his disciples. He's looking at those, those closest to him and saying, realizing what they would be going through in the next few weeks and months and years. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said, talks about, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He talks about coming back. And then, in fact, in, if you go down to verse, verse 26... He is promising here the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would be with them. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus is is promising to them the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. The one who would encourage them. The one who would go with them through the trials. The one who would remind them of what Jesus said. And so Jesus is, is telling them these things. So you still picture the disciples and Jesus sitting there in the upper room. They had probably finished the, the Passover meal. They had finished all those things. Jesus had finished um, telling them, t- giving them some last minute instructions. Now go down to verse Verse 31 of chapter uh, chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Then he says, Arise, let us go hence. 
Now you could picture the disciples. They get up from their from their meal, the things that they were doing. They follow Jesus out into the city. Uh, they're they're leaving the upper room. They're heading out. Jesus, they're they're just following Jesus. I don't know if they knew where they were going, but Jesus was heading towards the Garden of the Gethsemane. They head head out across the city. Now, at this point, it was dark or or nearly dark, and it was towards the end of the day. But at several times in throughout their journey across the city, they could look and see the Temple Mount. Uh, the it was a very prominent feature in their city, um, and so. They, they leave the city. They walk across the Kidron, uh, the, the Brook Kidron, the Brook Kidron. They walk across that, which is significant. Um, years earlier, there was a king, King David. And remember when Absalom took the throne from David, his father? Remember that story? David is leaving Jerusalem. He has to run for his life. And he is... The Bible says that he crossed the brook Kidron. And so you had a rejected king, a, a re, a one that was in rebellion, took the throne. The, the king David, he was in anguish of heart. He was in sorrow. He was weeping. He crossed this brook. And now here today in this time, Jesus, the rejected king, he had the right to the throne. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Um, he, he, he brought the good news, but they chose not to believe it. And so they rejected their Messiah. He, in great sorrow of heart, he is heading across the brook Kidron. Now, as they go through this area and into the Garden of the Gethsemane, they could again see the Temple Mount. It was, again, a very visible place that they could see. Now, where they were in this in, in, on this part of the city was where the temple faced. The doors faced east. And so this was where, where they were facing. And, uh, they could look and see the doors of the temple. In, in history, we, I, I, I saw that the, those doors of the temple were approximately 34 feet tall. That's a bit, those are big doors. This was a big, big temple. Massive. Uh, 34 feet tall there were these were these were these doors now on either side of these doors were pillars a pillar on one side and a pillar on the other and over the top of those pillars was a was a, was a lintel stone or a beam and then winding around these pillars and over the top was this grapevine it was made out of gold a golden grapevine it had golden leaves and golden clusters of grapes and golden branches that wound around these pillars and over the top and it was a beautiful sight in fact you, you can look at you can look it up you could google it not right now but you could find out about i mean it's, it's in history is it people went there is a famous thing it's a beautiful thing that people would go and they could see this beautiful um this golden grapevine um beautiful um, in fact josephus i read that he said that the cl- a cluster of grape was so big, the clusters of grape were as big as a man, he said. Made out of gold. You can imagine how beautiful that would have been. And, and so Jesus here is with his disciples, and he no doubt could look over and see that temple. And you can ma- now picture in your mind, hear this, they had just done Passover. In just a few hours, the 
temple grounds would be busy. Thousands of people offering sacrifices. All these sacrifices. So at this time, no doubt, the temple mount was very prepared. They were, they were ready. They had things all in order. They had the sacrifice. They had the, probably all the sheep over here, all the goats over here. All the, everything was laid out and ready to go. And so Jesus there is with his disciples. And he looks over and sees that, that religious activity all ready to go. And he saw the temple. And he realized all that, that it stood for. And then he saw the, the golden grapevines winding around there. And he said in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth much fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. In, in, in the Bible, throughout the Bible, a grapevine often illustrates Israel. In Psalm 80, it says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Again in Psalm 80, it says, Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine in the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted. In Hosea, it says, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. And no doubt, as Jesus looked over at the the temple mount and the temple there and the grapevine, that golden grapevine winding around. And he saw all that religion and all that stuff. He wanted to remind his disciples that he was the true vine. It's interesting here. I, I think we could say from these verses and as we go on from these verses, I think we could say you must stay in constant fellowship with Jesus. You must stay in constant fellowship with Jesus. Jesus, you could picture him looking over there, pointing at, at, at this grapevine and saying to his disciples, it's beautiful, isn't it? But there's no life there. He could say, see all that religion? It's beautiful, isn't it? But there's no life there. It's not connected to the vine. You know, sometimes people come to church, um, unsaved people, and, and they, they, t- they talk about, I've heard them talk about how that they like coming to church because they like the peace that it fills. They feel, they like the atmosphere. They like the, maybe some of the activities, the things that go on in a church service. It makes them feel good. And religion has a way of doing that. But religion without life, without being connected to the vine, is dead religion. Um, you know, so... But in these verses, Jesus is reminding, I am the true vine. Now, there's an important word in, the, in these verses, and that is the word abide. Um, it's talking about a grapevine. That means it is part of the vine. In the Bible, there's several times it, talks about, it uses the word abide. Sometimes it talks about abiding in a house, living in a house. Um, uh, sometimes it talks about a place. You're abiding in this 
location. Um, sometimes it talks about maybe a, your relation to another person. You are abiding with these people. You're staying with them. You are remaining with them. You're, um, you're connected to this house or this location. You're connected to this people. Um, Jesus said to be connected to him, to abide, to stay close to him. What are some evidences or proofs of abiding in Jesus? I'd like to look at a few this evening. First, abiding in Jesus means you are being purged. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Word purge. You know, we have a lot of farmers around here. Uh, you can all relate to that. Well, I grew up in California. I, you know, I had apple orchards everywhere, and then also a lot of grapevines. Uh, but you could see a farmer pruning and cutting away and training and cutting away anything that didn't cause, bring forth fruit. Uh, and that's what it's talking about here. They're purging you. You're taking away anything that hinders the fruit from growing. Anything that that distracts from the life that takes energy but doesn't produce anything. And so Jesus here is saying, uh, abiding in him means you are being purged. The farmer is taking care of the vine. He is showing care for it. He is, he is caring for it. Sometimes, have you ever discovered this? God sometimes convicts us of sin. Sometimes he reveals things in our lives that are not pleasing to him. If you're Maybe you're, maybe you've ever said something, and and then after you say it, you realize that wasn't right. I shouldn't have said that. Or, or maybe sometimes um, you let an attitude out, and uh, I've done this sometimes. Maybe you can relate, but sometimes you have an attitude, and then afterwards you think, oh, I shouldn't have responded in that way. God's revealing sin in our lives. And when if we are abiding in the Lord Jesus, when he reveals sin in our lives, we need to turn away from that sin. We need to allow God to purge it from our lives. If you are in fellowship with Jesus, you will turn from sin when God reveals it to you. I'd like you to hold your place here. I'd like to show you a verse. Go over to 1 John, almost all the way to Revelation 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says, This then is a message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have no fellowship, if we have fellowship with him and, and walk in darkness... We lie and do not the truth. See, I cannot say that I'm right with God and know there's sin in my life. I can't say I'm right with God and yet refuse to turn away from sin. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If I say I'm going to have fellowship with God, I need to turn away from my sin. I need to, I need to allow God to remove that from my life. So abiding in Jesus means uh, God is purging, uh, purging from, He is removing sin from us. Uh, number two, abiding in Jesus means you are being cleansed. Look at verse 3, back in John 15. Verse 3 says, 
now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus said, um, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are cleansed by the word of God. God cleanses us. He washes us with his word. Hold your place here. I'd like you to go over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. This chapter is primarily addressing the relationship of the husband and wife, but there's a, a verse here that, that we sometimes miss. In Ephesians 5, look at verse 25. There it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. How? With the washing of the water by the word. God is cleansing his church with his word. It's like he is using God's word to wash us, to cleanse us. Look at the next verse. It says that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. That's God's goal. The Lord Jesus, his goal for the church, for us, for your church, for your family is that he would be able to present you faultless before his throne. That he would be able to present you as without spot or wrinkle, clean, cleansed by his word. In 1 John 2.28, we won't go there for a time, but it says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, not be ashamed before him at his coming. I'm afraid many Christians, we're going to be ashamed. We don't have to be. We can have confidence when he comes. We have a choice. We can be ashamed or we can have confidence. And it has to do with how we live right now. We need to turn away from that sin. You know, how does this cleansing take place? Well, it's more than going to church once or twice a week. By the way, how clean would your dishes be if you only washed them once a week? Now, sometimes we try to do that. But imagine someone going to church only once a week and thinking that that does it with their relationship with God. You need to be in fellowship with God all the time. You need to be close to God all the time. You need to be in His Word all the time, constantly in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Abiding in Jesus means you are being purged. It means you are being cleansed. It means you are bearing fruit. Um, John 15 talks in verse 4. It says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Bearing fruit. Um, You cannot produce fruit unless Jesus lives through you. No matter how hard you try, you cannot be consistently patient. You cannot be consistently loving or humble or kind. You cannot be consistently doing the right thing. You cannot be consistently forgiving unless Jesus is living his life through you. Um, look at verse verse 8. It says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. God is glorified when you bear fruit. You know, God didn't save you so you could just sit in church. God saved you so you could bear fruit. So you could bear fruit for his glory. 
In Galatians 5, we won't go there again for, for time, but it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You're very familiar with that. It talks about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all, all these things. And it's a wonderful list. You look at that list and think, wow, that's, that's great. I, you know, I, I love to. I wish I knew some people were loving and kind and patient and, and all these things. The fruit of the Spirit. Um, God wants that in our lives. It's interesting, chapter Galatians 5, before the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the flesh. And it has a terrible list of things that happen in the life of one who does not allow the Holy Spirit to be in control in their lives. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, it's a familiar verse, you probably know it. Matthew 5:44. Jesus says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you. And it talks about forgiving those who who mistreat us, who wrong us. You know, those things hurt, don't they? Have you ever been taken advantage of? Have you ever been wronged? Someone did you wrong? Has anyone ever offended you? That's hard, isn't it, to respond in the right way? It's hard to, to like Jesus said, to love and forgive and, and be kind and, and be patient. That's hard. As I think about it, I think, no, that's not hard. It's impossible. I can't do that. Neither can you. I can't be consistent. I mean, for a while I could. For a while, you know, I could, I could show forgiveness and love and, and all those things. But if they keep pushing my button, you know, my patience is going to run out. So I need more than just trying harder. The Holy Spirit needs to do a work in my life. Abiding in Jesus means I am bearing fruit. Abiding in Jesus means you have life. If you look at verse 6, and verse 6 is interesting. It says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now, it's talking about here that Jesus, like a vine, Jesus is the only true source of life. He is the only true source of spiritual nourishment. He is the only one that we can depend on. John 10, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. You know, Jesus not only provides life, he is life. Remember John said, John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. He is that life. Um, Jesus gives life. What does that life look like? Now, you know, Pastor talked about how dry it is over here. I don't know. As I drive around, I'm thinking how green everything looks. Everything's so lush, and there's water everywhere, and there's green grass. You know, where I come from, we don't have grass. We have People have gravel in their yards where grass doesn't grow, and we rake our gra- gravel to smooth it out. Um, it, it, we come from a dry place. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in California. Every year we'd have a huge garden, a huge garden. We'd can and freeze and dry and all these things. Um, and so when I go to Arizona, I, I want to have a garden too. And I remember in California, I just loosen up the soil, throw in some seeds, maybe a little water, and you have a garden. Uh, I go to Arizona, break up the soil, throw in some seeds, throw lots of water. I, I planted a tomato plant one year. And I watered it every day. I watered it and watered it, gave it lots of water. And then I got busy and I forgot to water it one or two days. Go out and it's all dried up. 
I thought, man, here I, I spent all that time watering it every single day. And then I miss one or two days and it's, it's gone. I mean, that's kind of discouraging. But, you know, that's what the Christian life is like in my own strength. Uh, for a while, I can make things happen. I can be forgiving. I can show love. I can produce some fruit. Uh, but sooner or later, depending on me, I'm going to run out of that life. I'm not going to have it for much longer. Someone's going to push my button and I'm going to respond in a sinful way. I'm going to have a temptation and I'm going to give in. Uh, for a while, I could resist. For a while, I could respond rightly. But if I don't have the life of Jesus flowing through me, I, am, I don't have that life. <clears throat> I'd like you to see a verse um, in, let's see. Actually, you know this verse. I'm, just for time, I'm going to, in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not me living. It's Christ living. It's Christ living in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's not me living. It's Christ living in me. See, the the abiding in Jesus, the life of Jesus flowing through you. It is not me producing that fruit. It is Jesus producing that fruit. It is not me forgiving that person. It is me forgiving that. I'm sorry. It is Jesus forgiving. It's not me resisting the temptation, it's Jesus resisting that temptation. It is His life. As I abide in Him, He lives through me. I am crucified with Christ, identifying His, his death. Nevertheless, I live. I'm identifying Christ's resurrection. But it's not me living. Now it's Christ living in me. Remember Matthew 5, we, I mentioned Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them as the spiteful will use you, take advantage of you, and do those terrible things to you. I can do it for a little while, but unless Jesus is living his life in me, it will only last for so long. See how important it is to abide in Jesus. I'd like you to see, um, actually, um, I'm looking at the time, I'm going to, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And it talks about how that our what we do will be tested, it says, by fire. Here in John 15, verse 6, it mentions fire. Now, what is this fire all about? Now, the point of this passage is not eternal destiny. That's not the point of, this, of John 15. But I think what we could draw from that is what the fire has to do with is that if you live this life in your flesh, if you live this life depending on yourself, if you live a sinful life as a Christian, when you go to the judgment seat of Christ, you will look back and think, what a waste. Your life is just worthless. A life lived for self is worthless. A life lived for the Lord Jesus, what a difference. Um, so, Abiding in Jesus means you are, that means you have life. Whatever that fire is, it's serious. And I like to think of it this way. You need to take your relationship with the Lord Jesus seriously. 
you know, take it seriously. Sometimes, you know, we come to church, maybe we read the Bible once or, you know, once in a while at home. Our relationship with the Lord Jesus is more than that. It is so much more valuable than that. We need to take it seriously, our walk with God. Uh, last, our abiding in Jesus means you are receiving answers to prayer. Now, Jesus said in verse 7, kind of interesting, he says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you, shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So two conditions, a big word, if. If is always a big, big word. If, two conditions. First is, if you abide in me. That is to stay close to Jesus. James 4.8, draw nigh to God. Get close to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Um, in Proverbs 8, it says, those that seek me early shall find me. You know, any relationship, whether it's marriage, whether it's a friend, any relationship requires communication. It requires spending time. It requires maybe trying not to offend the other person, trying to find out what that person likes. Uh, your relationship with the Lord Jesus ought to be top priority. Put him first. Live in such a way that he would fit right in. So two conditions answered prayer. First is to stay close to Jesus. Next is that his word stays close to you. Abide in me and my words abide in you. Let's say you're, you're faced with a decision. You have to make a choice, a decision in life. Is your first thought how much this will cost? You know, how hard it is to make this decision? Or is your first decision, what does God say? You can think of a verse. Or maybe you're faced with a temptation. And is your first thought, what does God say? And perhaps the reason we don't think of God's word like that is because we are not abiding in his word. His word is not abiding in us. We are not in his word like we should. Abide in me, my words abide in you. Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it could it be that we don't think of a verse when tempted because God's word is not in us. We need to allow his word to stay close to us. I like to think of these two conditions to answer prayer. Staying close to Jesus, his word staying close to you. I'd like to show you one last verse, and it relates to both of these. So go over to Psalm 119, one night, Psalm 119 and verse 10. Psalm 119, verse 10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Stay close to Jesus. His word, stay close to you. Are you abiding in Jesus? How's your fellowship with him? Are you walking with him each day? Perhaps you're here, you don't, you've never had that relationship. You're not even part of the vine. How's your relationship with God? Do you know him? Does he know you? As a Christian, is his life flowing through you? Are you experiencing that life? Let me encourage you. Abide in him. Get close to Jesus. Stay close to him. Stay in fellowship with him. Allow his word to abide in you.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for uh, a picture, really, of, of what a life can be that is completely yielded to you. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, may we find our complete satisfaction in the Lord Jesus. May, his, may our relationship with him be top priority. May we abide in your word and, and may we abide in you. And as we go through this life, may, may you live your life through ours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.